Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey everybody, this is Brian. I want to welcome you to this week's Matrixic Discussion Group Call here for Tactical Sovereignty. And we're just having a little chit-chat right now. Nothing really formal going on this evening. So thank you for being here. And uh, we're talking about what's going on in Colorado right now with, uh, what was it, the 8 that was arrested there? Is that right, little dear? Colorado 9. 9, okay. Steve Curry right. was arrested. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll put it in there. Yeah. No, go ahead. Okay, um, so... Are those also the right. Heather Tucci people? Is that also the nine including Heather Tucci? Is that one of those? No, no but it doesn't I have anything to do with Heather Tucci. Okay. Right, they don't have anything to do with Heather Tucci. Okay, so, um, no, that's not the case. Anyway, uh, okay, so they got Steve Curry uh, a few weeks ago um, coming out of his RV, and they tackled him and they smashed his hand and broke it, and he had a, a heart attack. And they, it ended up in the hospital. Um, of course, he was not armed or anything like that, and, you know, it was a total brutality, police brutality or whoever it was that picked him up. Anyway, so that would be the Colorado Nine, because he was the ninth one that had escaped their grasp, I guess, uh, for quite a while. And, and I know he was working on things while he was uh, while he was out. Anyway, so he, um, that's kind of the latest thing there. But as far as um, the Colorado Nine, I know that there was uh, the the jury, the grand jury, gathered and did the case against the state or the counterclaim or or their claim. And so that was completed, and, and it's online and available for anyone to listen to. Um, and the ruling on that was favorable for them. Uh, let's see, what else? Um, it, I have no new news at this point. Um, there's so much going on, you know, around everywhere with the Bundys and then the Colorado Nine. And then there's activity going on in the county right next to mine, which is involved with my county, that Keno has initiated from Archuleta County, and that's been pretty exciting. And uh, we'll get updates on that on Wednesday um, during the Colorado call, and uh, uh, then it goes into the national call. So um, I'll be glad to update anybody as, as I learn. That's what I know so far. Well, yeah, you brought up that, you know, a lot of what they're doing is all from a constitutional perspective and everything like that. And I remember here about uh, maybe 13 months, 14 months ago or so, uh, speaking with 
uh, do set, I was really wanting them to slow things down a little bit because, you know, pretty much so many people in the circle of their study seem to all be coming at everything from the constitutional perspective. And people have been uh, beating that piece of paper <laughs> like a dead horse for right. what, how many years and getting nowhere with it, you know. So um, I really felt there was a different direction that things needed to be com- coming from. And the Constitution definitely wasn't the way. You know, certainly considering what we know about the legal name and the fictional entity and all of that stuff and whatnot, they know that, okay? So they're not um, – I don't think that they know about the foreclosures, though, that happened December 25th, 2012, and that's where where Heather Tucci Draft does come in because she was a big part of all of that and saw it through and, in fact, had uh, just traveled uh, before she was arrested. She had traveled around the world um, meeting with different high-level uh, bankers and and kings and queens and princes and princesses and I don't know what all. It's, it's, pretty, um, it's a pretty incredible story if you go into her bio and what all she has done, and then it helps you understand what she's doing now and how all of that fits in and ties into everything. And she's truly put herself out there with everything. So what I think what Heather is doing is incredible beyond what most people have any clue about. But there's plenty that are that do know, and that you know around the world because it's a global effort. Well, yeah, speaking of her traveling around the world, talking to people, I think that's actually the direction that things do need to come from, is that what is being run right now, uh, looking at things uh, legally, uh, even financially, it's all coming from international perspective, you know what I mean? It's not necessarily the laws and codes and statutes of uh, this corporation anymore, but it's more done from an international level. I would tend to agree. See, what I'm seeing here where things are with her now, um, there's a guy that does a a channel called Lunacy on YouTube, and he goes over the documents um, all the way up to where we are right now, where she did the precipice, and she did uh, an incredible job entering in all of the UCC filings, and everything that needs to be done. So if you go through all of that, I found it to be so encouraging because she did it so right. You know, But I followed the case um, and went through the transcripts of every hearing to pay attention to exactly what she was doing. So um, from that perspective, you know, it's very, very encouraging. They are in where... where <laughs> My perspective of it is it's like watching a chess game almost. They're in a situation now after what she's done where if they move forward, they're going to unravel all of the banking fraud because she has all of the stuff to show exactly how they will profit off of or how they're profiting off of this case, for example. Through the through the legal name, <laughs> I mean that's what's kind of amazing about it because she just will it'll unravel. That's 
what I'm seeing. Unless there's something that I don't comprehend, which is entirely possible, and, you know, it's all speculative at this point as to what they will do. But um, based on everything that I reviewed, it's like, poof, it's, uh, it's pretty sticky. And she's got 10 million followers or more. Well, yeah, you know, that's always been a problem is you never know what the courts are going to do. It, and if she's got any kind of um, a safety net, if you want to put it that way at all, it might mm-hmm. be that this is, this is being done at a federal level. It's, it's all, already on the, the federal level. Things, right, exactly. But I'm saying that, that that's the good thing there is because it seems like things will vary a lot more in what happens at the uh, lower level or the inferior courts. Right. And they're pretty nervous because that precipice is not a question. It's not a request. It's an order. It's a command. And she's very clear in all of it. It's just amazing. <laughs> it gave me chills, okay? And I've reviewed a lot <laughs> of documents. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, uh, that stuff, it was powerful. You know, it's very powerful. And it's available to everybody. You can go look at it on the IUV site. It's uh, i-uv.com. So how does a precipice different from a writ of mandamus? I'm not sure. I would not be your guru on that. But we did go through the definition of the precipice, and that certainly does help clarify it. It helped clarify it for me as to exactly what she was, you know, why she was choosing that over a, you know, writ of mandamus. Um, But honestly, I'm not. Uh, schooled enough in the common law uh, and what the difference would be. Um, Coming from where Heather is coming from is just she has broken it down to the absolute um, original. That's why you'll hear about you're the original because we are the original. We're the original of all that is from that legal name, if that helps to think of it that way. It does help me because, you know, that whole thing is 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 the biggest part of the whole mystery, I think, in could, how things could I, could I interject in here for a minute, the difference between original? We're actually the genuine source. We're the genuine yeah. source that all this is created from. So, you know, after right. after the genuine comes the comes original. So, I mean, you're already mm-hmm. taking a step down. So, I mean, uh, I, I, you know, I consider myself to be the genuine source, not an, not an original. I mean, I consider myself to... And you know what? Each, to, one, each one of us can do it the way that we see it, and that's uh-huh. the beautiful thing about it. She's just paved a, a real path with the uh, factualized trust, which is absolutely beautiful. And listening to um, Bob talk about the different things that he's done and why should we even have to do any of it. And I totally hear him and, and, and have felt his frustration, but the factualized trust kind of boils it down to where it really needs to be. You know, if you can stand on that and know exactly what it means, then, you know, that is 
uh, a dynamite document. It's it's one that I'm going to do and record it here in my county and on the state, probably where I was born as well. How did you understand uh, the definition of the precipice? Oh, what did it really mean to you? Boy, you know, we just went through the whole we we just we went through the whole definition of it, and basically, it's just you are you know it's like kind of like being the original. It's like you can't be overdone. You know, they have no jurisdiction because you're the originator and you're not giving them permission, and you're giving them a command, and with everything backed up. Um, on that command with all of the evidence of everything, which I thought she did an awesome job. Uh, they're nervous. You know, I, I listened to all of the reports and all of what went on in the courtroom the other day, and, and they're nervous. Um, they were just kind of mocking it, but she's not one to mock, you know, because she really does pack a punch. <laughs> so... I don't know where we go from here. Um, the word was 30, they have like 30 days uh, to mull it over, and the judge did say that he was going to uh, seek counsel. And that was kind of the last of it right there. Well, to uh, answer the, your caller's um, questionnaire, I guess, the, the, the precipice, like you're saying, is coming from um, the original or the genuine, you know, that's uh, coming from, well, actually, you could even use the word matrix, you know. Uh, matrix is the founding document that all others are based off from, or whatever. But a mandamus is actually a uh, issued by a court, a uh, compelling performance of a lower court um, yeah. or a body, you know, to do an action or something like that. So that would be the difference there. Hmm. That sounded good. That sounded uh, pretty, you know, I I got that. Makes sense. Um, I'd encourage so, anybody. So one, yeah, so one comes from the court and the other one comes from the man or woman. Yeah. Right. So that is kind of the thing is that the way I see her stuff um, is that she's done it so that we can, you know, follow right through and not have to take so many turns and twists because it really does just put it in proper perspective. You know, now it helps to have the knowledge of all of the different ways that we're put into the jurisdiction of the de facto or however you look at it. Um, you know, so knowing about that residence or driving or, you know, residence versus domicile or, driving versus travel or uh, people uh, versus person, you know, all of those word tricks that we've been subjected to. And, you know, I don't mean to sound like I have a bad attitude or anything, but, I mean, really, we've been subjected to double talk, in my opinion. That's all it is. It's like, well, when you change the definitions from the common, you know, then... uh, you're in violation, not me, because I didn't know. Because I've been using the common definitions because it's based on the common law. You know, because that's where common law has a beautiful place in all of this. Common law is based on common sense. You don't need a piece of paper 
to tell you something. <laughs> well, and, but, but the way the way the uh, corporation looks at things right now, though, is that you know if you were to talk to a court administrator, a judge, or whatever you want to call them about common law, uh, their automatic mind goes straight to the statutes and codes. Uh, to them, that is the common law of the land here. You know, and I, I think a lot a lot of people uh, want to think uh, go back maybe to like uh, English common law, thinking that that was maybe like natural law or something, which that wasn't the case either, because the Pilgrims right. actually fled there, and one of their main reasons for fleeing was uh, the strict demands of the common law. You know, and right. one of the problems is that, you know, even with people thinking, oh, they changed definitions and things, well, they, they really didn't change the definitions of the words. They changed the use of those words, and they turned them into terms. And they, right. those terms became tools of their legal society. And those terms, they could define them any way they wanted. That's why if you go and you're reading in statute or code or anything, it'll say, in this section, these terms shall be meant to mean da-da-da-da. You know what I mean? And I'll give gotcha. a list of definitions. Sure. And yeah, they're different. I think it goes along with the bastardization of the English language, doesn't it? From the 1933 Webster um, Encyclopedia, where uh, I think he's referring. Well, part of it is the uh, definition of legal is the undoing of God's law. Yeah, that's the Encyclopedia Britannica of uh, 1892, I believe, yeah. Right. So, you know, all of those little things, but still, if you boil it down to the, you know, once again, like, the thing that makes the most sense is just, it's if the people speak with each other and use words and comprehend them a certain way, well, that is the common law. Right? Right. Not, yeah, the common definition should be what stands. Right. It doesn't get to change when you run when you go into a, you know, end up in some kind of a courtroom somehow, you know, that now all of a sudden a double talk gets to happen there, you know, because <laughs> that's the reason why the the common law is a big deal. It's the supreme law of the land. And that's what a copyright's for. Pardon me. That's what a copyright's for. Uh, excuse me. Um, this is Walter. Hey, Walter. What's up, Bar? Oh, I got uh, uh, some information on the precipice if anybody wants to know about it. I looked up a few things, and uh, precipice is nothing other than, no more than just a privacy policy and legal notice. That's what a precipice is. A precipice. All right, exactly. And, and as far as a... Um, definitions and terms that come where well, you got a word and you got a definition of a word. Now somebody can take that word and uh, make up their own terms and conditions and then it'll come out as being your common law inside your jurisdiction within your organization or your association. So there's many different um, common law courts I mean, I know there's many of them out there. Well, you know what? I was going to say, well, one of the things that it's like, uh, once you start looking at this stuff and looking at it from the correct perspective, it like just smacks you in the face. The truth does, because it's like, holy crap. You know, the only thing that people really know are, say, 
for instance, you know, you got those lists of definitions going through school every week, you know what I mean, that you had to memorize and stuff like that. And all of you really know is what, or what the majority of people know is only what they were taught in the public school or the state-run school. And if anybody, I mean, it's so simple, if you just stood back and thought about it for a second, it's like, wait a second. So we've got what we think is the government running everything, and they're running the courts, and they're running the schools that teach me. Um, do I think that they are going to arm me with everything that I need to defend myself from them? Absolutely not. So, I mean, and that's just, that should be just such common sense that it, even in high school, I can't believe I didn't see that and say, wait a second, you know, I, I need to do some other studying and other research areas. What they're showing me isn't going to be helping me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it brings me back to the, you know, in my mind where it is that uh, these law books that we're reading from, you know, uh, Black's Law and all that, those are copyrighted statutes and codes. And we do not have written permission to be able to use the remedy and recourse within those statutes and codes because we are not part of that co uh, copyright. We are not a we are not a member to it. Uh, we are not uh, an associate with them, but we are being trafficked into these different little mini corporations. Right, but you know, we're not bound by those statutes. Actually, the proper way I think of looking at it is we're not bound to those statutes and codes. But they are, because they're right. the ones that swore an oath to uphold. Yeah. yeah, and if we can't find our way through there to find recourse and remedy, and if we've done everything like it says within their statutes and codes of rules and regulations, and we still haven't found remedy, it's because we don't have written permission to use those copyrighted codes. We are not you know, using well, them, is what I'm saying. Uh, you know, we don't well, use them. They are ask, ask yourself the bigger question: Who's the owner of the statutes and codes? Who's the man or woman that owns those codes? Because the government is just filled by men and women who occupy offices. So who's the owner? Who's the original owner of those statutes and codes? Who who claims to own them? What's wrong? Just throw it out there. State statutes or federal what's statutes? Yeah, they're all go by federal. The, the you got the 18 USC a buddy of mine named um, Brent Swallows had done some research at the Library of Congress, and he found mm -hmm. out that none of the USCs have been passed. Everybody's trying to follow the 18 USC and all these other um, codes that have never been passed, and we just come across this information this week. Right. It's all. Oh no, that's, that's, let me let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Have you ever gone to the law library and and seen the black Oh no, the red collection of United States codes, annotated yes, USCA. All right. Yes, have you I also have. seen the other section, the black the No, the black section of USC. In other words, you guys, there is a black set. It's it's USCS. It's not USCA. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've taken pictures of it. I got it in my chat. I mean, in my uh, my Google Drive, the image. But the issue is this, what they do not uh, have time to get to, they just leave unadjudicated or unpassed. So there's a lot, actually more than half of the laws that have been enacted by Congress have not been run through what's called the United States Code Service. 
And and what you end up with is a, is a black set of books that's called USCS. So go go look that up. Hmm. Interesting. Well, the thing um, is, is that all these codes and statutes are are basically excerpts interpreted the way that they well um, legal minds wanted to interpret them. That hold on, dude. Uh, I wanted to add one thing to my thing was that, and that was this: when the when the when the uh, when the statute is passed by the USCS and put into the black book, it's now deemed to be what's called positive law. So positive law is basically a primary source of law in the United States. And I yield. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, what I want to say is that what you can use if you're going to be using anything, is you have to go back to the source material from those. As, like as I say, th- those are just little pieces and snippets that were interpreted the way what, whatever lawmaker wanted to interpret them, and they came actually out of the public law. You've got oh, the public law. You're talking about You're talking about session laws, Brian. Exactly. You're going to go back there and see what they were really talking about and what they were really referencing, because... Odds are very good that might not have anything to do with the way it's being used against somebody. Damn right. And you know the Bundy situation? They were using that law of stopping a government agent from doing the performance of their duties in the wrong way. If you go look at the original statute, I forget the name, the number of it right now, but the, what they're charging the Bundys with was actually exactly what the government did. They actually impeded and in the in the citizens doing what the citizens wanted to do with which was authorized by the law that's what the government did and they violated the statute that they claimed Bundy was guilty of and also Lavoy Finnegan yeah you got to go beyond the statutes you got to vet it all the way back to the original session laws that they wrote the statutes off of that's what you got to do vet all the way back to that and then see what that and, session law was and not only that, like we were talking earlier about everything really being run under international law, is you got to go back to the UDHR. Go back to the UDHR and then hold them to um, the, what was done there and what was accepted there. Because the, chances are they're going to answer to that a lot what, faster. Can you give us some clarification on the acronym? Because, I mean, I don't, I don't study statutes and constitutional provisions, but I know the structure These of the legal are. system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Universal Declaration of Human Rights. That's the acronym. Oh, okay. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and and that's been accepted by at least 197 countries, so. Well, it was uh, even accepted by the United Nations. As a matter of fact, I have it right here in front of me. And um, uh, it talks about how it became about, um, where the recognition came from, um, mm-hmm. And it talked about intangible rights, and if nobody knows what an intangible right is, you have intangible and tangible rights to uh, everything around us. And intangible I do. Rights... It... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Okay, that's good. Um, they talk about uh, whereas recognition in the inherent dignity and of the equality and inten- uh, inalienable rights of all members of a human family is the foundation of freedom, justice, and peace in the world. Uh, Whereas disregard and contempt for human rights has resulted in barbarous acts which have outraged the consciousness of mankind. 
and the advent of the world in which human beings shall enjoy freedom of speech and belief and freedom from fear and want has been proclaimed as the highest aspiration of the common people. Whereas it is essential if a man is not to be compelled to have recourse as a last resort to rebellion against tyranny and oppression, the human rights should be protected by the rule of law. Whereas it is essential to promote the development of friendly relationships. Relations what, between. What article? I'm not reading the article. I'm just reading the foundation of the document. Then I can go on to the articles. Mm-hmm. This is going to tell you where it came from, how it was developed, and who all adopted it. Whereas it is essential to promote the development of friendly relations between nations. Whereas the, the peoples of the United Nations have in the Charter reaffirmed their faith in fundamental human rights. So now they're talking about here comes the United Nations. So all that happened was the United Nations have in their charter reaffirmed their faith in fundamental human rights, in the dignity and worth of the human person, and in the equal rights of men and women, and have determined to promote social progress and better standards of life in larger freedom. Whereas member states have pledged themselves to achieve in cooperation with the United Nations the promotion of universal respect for the observance of human rights and fundamental freedoms, whereas a common understanding of this right and freedoms is of the greatest importance for all realization of this pledge. Now, therefore, the General Assembly, not the United Nations, the General Assembly is the gathering of all these nations that came together and developed this document, and they all adopted it. Now, it proclaims the Universal Declaration of Human Rights as a common standard of achievement for all peoples and and all nations to the end that every individual and every organ of society keeping this declaration consistently in mind shall strive by teaching and educating to promote respect for these rights and freedoms and by progressive measures, national and international, to secure their universal and effective recognition and observance, both among the people of members, states, themselves, and among the people of territories under their jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the preamble of the document, how it got started, how it came together, and who all was involved, and who adopted it and who also uh, reaffirmed it in their fundamental human rights, which is the United Nations has also adopted this by saying they reaffirmed it. So even the United Nations can be held by this Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And there's 30 articles in this. Mm -hmm. Did you know what Article 20 is? Yeah, I sure do. The one of... Go ahead. I can speak it to you if you want, if you'd like me to. Article 20, 1. Everyone has the right to freedom of peaceful assembly and association. Two, no one may be compelled to belong to an association. And that's what they're doing to all of us. They're Mm -hmm. they're forcing their statutes and codes on us so that we are being compelled into their driver's license, being compelled into their marriage license, 
Yeah. Great. Also, read the one about the right to be recognized as a legal person before the law. What article is that? A legal person before the law? Mm-hmm. I believe it might be Article 9 or Article 6, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that. But, yeah, it, within that declaration, it allows uh, all human beings to be recognized, it gives the freedom to be recognized as a legal person before the law. Just check it out. Now, um, I know a few of them. I have the whole thing in front of me. Um, if uh, Brian doesn't mind, I can read the authorical articles. It won't take long, so people can be familiar Brian? with some of that cool? Yeah, yeah, that that would be fine. Yeah, the only thing I would say awesome. is, you know, you're talking about a legal person. It, the way I look at it, and from what I've read, it looks mm-hmm. to me like the the legal person really isn't you. That's that's a statutory creation. So uh, myself, I wouldn't want to be. Actually, I don't think be a legal person. I, I think they're looking at you as representing that legal person they created. Yeah, if we noticed when I was reading this... Uh, Art, the here, let's do this real quick. Can I get a little latitude oh, hold here on. just for hold a on. Hold on, Walt. Yeah. No, hold on, it, Walt it's was Donaldson. speaking. It's Donaldson. Don't jump over. I, I know. I know Walt was yeah. speaking and you jumped over. Yeah, okay. I didn't say nothing. It said, Sorry about that, Walt. Well, it, well, it talked about in like the preamble or the, the formation of the document. It did say person, human person one time, and it mentioned it human person, not just person. Person would be a, uh, a creation. It's a, a creature. A person is a creature. It's like um, like the state within the state is a creature. It's an entity. A person is an entity that was uh, made up and devised. So it did say person in the formation of the document, but it called it a human person. That would be me and you. We're human persons. Right. Well, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I mean, it does make sense. Um, with with regard to, um, well, actually, I would I would actually say that we are like, yeah, we have personhood status in in that we actually go through stages of personhood from a child to young adult into you know middle adulthood and older age and and then like, you know, ancient, whatever. But the idea is, yeah, there's these stages of personhood that we can associate with being a live man or woman or person, in a sense. But when it comes to corporate persons, those things are absolutely pretty vague. And and, and here it is right here. It's Article 6, you guys. It says, everyone has the right to recognition everywhere as a person before the law. It didn't say you. Yeah. It didn't say human. It talked about your entity. That's so let me ask you this. So here's my question. How is that supporting human rights if it says you have the right to be recognized as a person? Okay, don't you have a right to have a person? If they have developed that um, statutory legal entity, don't you have a right to utilize your person before the law? Yes. To be recognized as a legal person? Yeah, it says everyone has the right to recognition, not recognized. You're crossing Mm -hmm. the words in your mind. Everyone has the right to recognition everywhere as a person before the law. So what are they talking about? They're not (laughs) talking about a human. They're talking about the entity, the person. Right, so how, how is that good? 
Well, then, if you're going in there trying to administer the person, then you have the right to the recognition everywhere. That doesn't mean just in your county or in your state, but throughout the country and other countries as well. Now, what, what, first of all, I have, I've read case law that has stated that an estate is not a legal person. No, it's a creature. But it's merely, it's, it's merely a name. It's merely a name to represent the debts and assets of a decedent. Yeah, so where's this legal person thing come into picture? I don't get it. Well, what is a person? I'll go look it up on Google and tell you what person means. It's simple to do this. Basically, they created the person, again, from the afterbirth, the left-behind afterbirth, and everything stems from that. So that's where the person comes from. It's, 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 it's placenta. It's a mass. It's, it's not a real-life thing. And, and, what, and once you claim, if you do a Minnesota Rule 220, you should be familiar with the facts. And the familiar, to be familiar with the facts means that you're aware that, that it comes from the afterbirth. I understand. And that gives I mean, the title. Yeah. It's the title to the afterbirth, not to the man. And that, can, all capital, that all capital name becomes the legal person, the entity which you should take control of so nobody else can, can run around with it. Yeah, because if you're not that. running around with it, somebody else will. Let's, let's clear this up now. I've got it in front of me. Legal person. Legal person refers to a non-human entity that is treated as a person for legal for limited legal purposes corporations, for example. Legal persons can sue and be sued on property and enter into contracts in most countries. Legal persons cannot vote, marry, or hold public office. So there you go. It didn't say human. It says non-human. Correct. So, so so is, it, your, is your placenta so, human or is it non-human? You know what? I, I want to cut in on that a little bit. I know Kurt Kallenbach exposes that and a lot of that comes, I believe, out of uh, Title One, and I, I can see where that conclusion could be drawn. I can see where that could be very well possible. But either way, they're creating that legal person out of something. It doesn't matter what it is. As far as I'm concerned, it's essentially a, a fiction. It's a limited partnership or corporation, organization, what agency, whatever you want to call it. So it really doesn't matter what it stems from. It, it exists. That's all there is to it. So, you know, the, the afterbirth argument uh, doesn't solve anything. Um, well, right here, it didn't say nothing about afterbirth, okay? So we know from the definition that I've looked up, it doesn't say nothing about Kellenbach's, Kirk Kellenbach's stuff. That's something well, have, you, that, have, you, have you gone to Black's Law and, and looked up the definition on page 167? Because, I mean, you guys have done an awful lot of studying your own self. I've done an awful lot of studying myself. And, again, everything that, that all titles come from the afterbirth. So if you, if you right. claim the afterbirth, how do these guys have any, any right to move on anything? Everything comes from the afterbirth. It's the root cause. I mean, I can go right. grab my dictionary. Talking, but it's, so hold on, hold on. I'll, I'll do it for you. You're talking about the definition of born alive. And born alive... Uh, what it covers is everything expelled from the mother. Everything. Yep. Yep. Uh, anything that shows any kind of a, it says nervous twitch, uh, blood flow, whatever, is considered a legal person. And so that's where the idea of the afterbirth coming from. 
But once again, I say, it doesn't matter where or what established that person, whether it was the afterbirth or what. It, it's still just a fictional entity in their system. And it's so, the name. I mean, it's the name. Say, say, saying exactly where it comes from doesn't solve the issue, <laughs> you know. Well, think about it. It's it's your mom's property. It's actually your mom's property that she left behind, and some of it's actually part of your DNA that's left behind, and they took your mom's intellectual uh, uh, information. Her, I can't think of the word now, but her, her intellectual property that she wrote by hand and converted that with what was intended for my use into an all-caps name. So, yeah, yeah, I think it has a direct uh, effect on everything. You know, and if you claim, if you claim your DNA, how do they how do they have the right to take it and make a title with it? Again, it was leftover abandoned material that was in custodial property that the, the, the you, you alien custodial property was hanging on to it. You just What's said it, abandoned. If you abandon something, if you leave it behind, okay. You and guess what? You can you can claim your property at any time. A man can come forward and claim his property at any time. So again, if we had any idea that this abandoned property was going to be used against us, nobody in their right mind ever would have left it behind. But as a man uh-huh. can come forward and claim that property at any point in time, because nobody else on this planet has a higher claim to it than yeah. than myself and my mom. First in time, first in right claim. of human rights, because that's where I started with the legal person argument. Remember, it was Article 6 that every person has a right to recognition as a legal person. Yeah, and everybody yeah, here has a right to the mute button. It and he just likes human. to jump in and start yakking. Yeah, it didn't say human, though. That, that, that's the separation. Human person and person. It's a definitely separation. Yeah. And, and I wanted to say, too, I've I've read that full document that Donaldson likes referring to, and that's what he's missing. <laughs> he's missing uh, some details there. He, he sees what he wants to see, and that's all there is to it. And in a situation like that, you're never going to figure things out. So, But I, either way, like I said, it, it really doesn't matter uh, how they established uh, that legal entity. It's all in what you do with it afterwards. Is the bottom line, and if you don't have to go and claim afterbirth or that blood spot that they keep, it is probably somewhere deep in a freezer in Utah or something. <laughs> I mean, this all you can do is take care of the claim on that legal entity. And if they want you to represent, then you should be able to do what you want with it, right? And my my buddy has actually taken the exe- uh, the executive position, and here's how he did it. If you don't mind me saying this, he found out oh. that uh, oh he actually uh, did this with uh, an EIN number. He took a filing of an EIN number, and he found where the birth certificates are held, the original wedding birth certificates, you know, that were developed by the states, are held in Washington. And he found out that the representative or the branch of that agency that's in Washington, the home office, is at every Secretary of State's office. He did an EIN number. He said Brent Swallers and put an address down to the Secretary of State's office. And he put his physical address down as the executor's office. So now he's the executor of the estate. And it was as simple as that. Julie Embry and um, um, Brent Swallers Okay, are the ones that I know that are doing this. 
And from my understanding, Julie's getting ready to sit down at the table for them to gather all accounts that were made in that name. Because once you're an executor, think about the president, chief executive officers, and he puts out executive orders. The only time you can put an order out is if you're the executor. So if we go back to uh, Heather Tucci, um, she doesn't have a founding document in place. That would be the executorship. That's why they're coming after her. This is one of my studies and a few other people that are doing this. So when you become the executor, you now can make executive orders. And you also don't have liability because if somebody does something within the agency or the corporation, or if you're an employee or an agent of that agency, then the one that caused the harm to the agency or the corporation is the one that's going to carry the liability, the trustee, the agent, which are the service processors, the ones that get the fines, the probation, jail time, or prison time. And it's making sense to me now from the studying I've been doing in the past couple of months. I'm leaning more toward the executor office of the estate than anything else. I was part of a study group that, that did that, and nothing's happened. Okay, none of those guys that have done their ECC ones and filed their liens and such, none of them are able it's to offset or discharge debt from not the executor's point of view. It's not, our, it's, not, it's not through a UCC. It's through an EIN number. They did it wrong. He has got a certified letter back from the Secretary of State stating that where the address is of Brent Swallows is now. And it's in a file cabinet or in a program in a computer at the Secretary of State's office. That's the legal address of Brent, Swatter, Brent Swallows. And the physical address of the executor is where he lives. They didn't do it right. Okay. Well, you know, I've been at it for at least seven years, but I've known my whole life that it's basically a big pile of shit. And again, I, I, I'm having a real hard time. Again, government was instituted for the benefit of man not for the benefit of itself. So if men aren't benefiting from it, then our government's operating outside its proper capacity. And it shouldn't be a freaking nightmare cobweb that's to why, figure it out. That's why you can take the executor's office, because they are not running it right. We're the, we're the um, agent. We're the trustees. Well, and I think they would be an executor to source, which is not the true executor. So they're, yeah. you know... Until... You come forward with your claim, then they well, are in the executor position. Well, what would your claim look like to send forward then? You know, uh, what would you, you just got, Okay, let me ask you this. Have you ever claimed your rights? Have you done a declaration of rights? Uh, Everything's no. done by declaration. No, no, I haven't. Have you done a resolution? Who, who, who would I declare my rights to? You ju you don't declare them to anybody. It's your you just see. This is the paper world. All right. Unfortunately, they go by well, paper. Now, all you got to do is build yourself a portfolio of who you are and who you're not. You don't have to have permission to to um, make a PMA. No government, no permission from no government or anybody for the formation of a PMA or for the even for the PMA to continue to exist. You don't need approval. You are your own self-governing body. 
you have to start putting forth documents in a document world. Well, but let's look at objective reality. It's it's not a paper world. It's a world of substance. It's a world of trees, land, buildings, cars, trucks, and people. You can dispute that all you want, but this is a world of paper, and they do things by paper. Well, that I, world I of substance is your world. That world of paper is their world. I want to say this hopefully without offending anybody, but you maybe you need to expand outside of a 2D realm besides a piece of paper, okay? And 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 because you give life to the paper, you're the one that's giving life to these ideas. What people are writing down. Then why so, don't you get your portfolio going? You're going to bring it to life. You're going to bring it to fruition by your um, deeds, words, and your actions. You. I didn't. I didn't paper. understand the first thing you said. Could you repeat the first thing you said? Why didn't I what? Well, then why are people getting fines? Why are people going to jail for things for, for uh, not offending the golden rule? The golden rule is cause no harm, no damage to property, and no loss. If you're not doing one of them three things, then they're forcing you into that association. And if you don't think it's a paper world, then show me where it's not. Okay, well, isn't forcing somebody against their will, is, isn't that a crime? Isn't it a, com a crime to compel somebody to do something against their will? We all know this, but in their paper world, they've got it set up and rigged to where you are going to apply by it, or they're going to send their little thugs after you and put you in jail. I, I don't know at what point you just stand up and, and, you know, just tell them to fuck off. Just give them a middle finger and fuck off. Go, or go ahead and try it. <laughs> yeah. go ahead and you try know what? It. I mean, here, here's the bottom line, guys. I, you know, I've been standing in front of the judge a few times, and they tried to lock me away. And guess what? It took me no more than two lawful letters to fix any mistake that anybody's ever made trying trying to collect stuff from me, okay, trying to charge me for, for my stay in jail for five days. And why was I in there so long? Because I wouldn't identify myself. And then after it was all said and done, these Yahoo's sent me a bill. And again, I believe everybody's been paid up in here. So if there's not a man or woman going to come forward and verify on a quarter record by voice that I owe them a debt, then I believe everybody's been paid up in here. And after my second time, it went away. Because of the third time, guess what? You're starting to, you've got, I've given you notice, notice of default. The third time, you're going to be in dishonor. So these guys don't want to get in dishonor. So I've never had to write any more than two awful letters to, to the county or to the Secretary of State to fix any mistake they've ever made with me. That's that's great. I mean, have you got documented proof of this? Is there something that you can show uh, show this? Uh, only only my letters, you know, only my letters that I have that I've written. Yeah, and also the dismissal of the case. You can get a copy of that. Yeah, I mean, again, all they all they served serve me was was five days with time served, and that was it. I mean. Mm. I, yeah. Time served, they still got what they wanted. They made money off of you for holding you in jail for a while. Well, I, I don't know where they got money from. I didn't, I didn't, everything done there was done under duress and signed under duress. And again, when I left, they were trying to send me a bill. And even, as a matter of fact, the, the, the judge didn't even charge me court fees. They didn't charge me anything. Well, you had already performed for them, so they had a performance bond running in the background. That's where they made the money at. Uh, yeah, it starts off with an appearance bond, then it talk, start, and then it goes to a um, uh, a bid bond, then from the bid bond to the performance bond, and from the performance bond to the payment bond. So there's four bonds that were put on you, and they got paid at every step. 
right? And just like when they sent me their letters saying, pay this amount, again, I could have taken it and turned around and, and made a made a check and sent it back to them, right? I didn't even do that because I've tried that before in other situations, and they and they just turn that crap down. But even even the second letter they sent me, it was for the less amount. Every time they sent me a letter, it was for less and less and less. Well, what did they do with those letters I sent back? Obviously, they cashed them in with their insurance as well. So they not only get to their four bond, whatever, you know. I'm just so tired of this crap, guys. I don't. I just want to shut up and just listen. I don't even want to talk anymore because I'm just really, I just want to shit on all paper. That's what I really want to do is just wipe my ass with all of it. My children will be lost for the lack of knowledge. And because you refuse the knowledge, then you'll be no priest to me. And because you didn't hearken onto the voice of uh, uh, Creator, then I will also forget your children. So it's it's about the studying. We have to have a desire to study. All right. Well, if you studied so much, though, then you're you're quoting Bible scriptures here. And guess what? That's a copyrighted Bible that's renewed every seventy-five years by the by the Crown, by the that's Royal Crown. No. That's okay. It doesn't matter. They're not all copyrighted. Back in the day, there were no copyrights. It was just words on paper. It was not copyrighted. Man chose to the do six, that. The 1611 Hendrickson uh, King James Version is the only Bible allowed in court because it is public domain and not copyrighted. There you go. It is copyrighted. And it's okay. renewed every 75 years. I mean, have you looked it up? You actually looked it up, or you just somebody tell you I've, that? I've got one. I've got one sitting right next to me. <laughs> okay, do you see where it says it's copyrighted in there in the 1611 King James Version Bible? Do you see where it says it's copyrighted? No, you no, don't? I don't. Not, 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 not Hendrickson. Not, not Hendrickson. Uh-huh. No. Yeah, I'm talking about the King James Bible. I'm not talking about any other right. version. King James Bible, right. King James. Copyright. The King James Hendrickson Bible, correct. I've never heard of the Hendrickson Bible. I just heard the King James Bible. It's the only Bible that I know of. Hendrickson is one of probably 80 different names that has published the King James Bible out there. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I was uh, chatting with uh, Rance a second ago here. Walter, and he said, maybe uh, I'll just turn this into a government call. Because really what this really comes down to is jurisdiction. And if that legal entity has been moved into a different jurisdiction, I mean, that really solves all the worries about what code is this, what statute is that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, once you capture the entity, you start writing up your own charter or constitution and your own articles of organization or association, your bylaws, they have no more jurisdiction over you. Absolutely. That is the beginning. So where do we want to start? We want to start off by um, why we are in the position we're in. We have no... Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's Basically. why everybody is running around out here stateless right now. And that's where they're screwed at. They have no protections because they're stateless. Yep. If I may, before you start. Hey, what's up? Uh, I think 
the call needs to come to order, and we need to stop having these people just chime in and jump all over everybody else. It's hard to hearing who is talking. Yes, that's I what agree. I wanted to say. Well, so why don't we get, uh, have everybody muted, and then only whoever's speaking, speaking. That's what's right, going to well, happen if they keep from? jumping in. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, how are we supposed to know who can talk and who can't talk? Because, I mean, it, it, it sounds like people hand. are waiting. Or talk, how do you do that? How do you raise your hand? Oh, are you on the computer? Or I'm on the phone. Are you walked into a uh, talk show? Are you no, I'm on the talk show on the phone? Okay. I'm on the phone. All right. All right. Well, then that makes it kind of difficult. Uh, unless you, well, I guess you can't ask anything in the chat either. Then, yeah, that makes it pretty difficult when you're on the phone. I mean, I'm, trying, I'm trying to learn here, but I'm also trying to, you know, make sense of this. Uh, and I'm holding the well, King James Bible right here, and it's it's copyrighted right here, worldwide, right here. Yeah. Uh, who is All rights the, reserved uh, throughout the world. Yeah, Whose edition book. is that? <laughs> it's King James Bible, 1611. Yeah, but somebody, who published it? By the B.B. Kirkbridge Bible Company Incorporated. No reproduction or the material of this Bible may be made by photocopying. All right, all right. No, Mechanical means, blah, blah, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, hey. All rights reserved hey, throughout the world. Hold on, dude. Okay. All right. All right, Sonny. Uh, all right. Yeah. You know, I want to say I want to say something out there as far as uh, maybe a little point of interest for people that didn't learn this growing up from your grandparents or your parents, and you probably didn't learn it in school either. And that is, uh, in order to learn, I found the best thing to do is shut my pie hole and open my ears, uh, because the more you're talking, the less you're hearing. And that's all I've got to say. But you're you're unmuted, Tony. What's going on, bro? All right. Okay. So I guess we're going to start with the point about um, uh, to the very beginning, where I see the beginning at. That when I was born, it's as simple as what I'm getting ready to say. Not about all that guru stuff about after birth or anything about the birth certificate or anything like that. It's as simple as this to me. What I've learned. First off, just because you're born in a country, that doesn't make you a citizen of that country. And it doesn't give you that nationality. You don't have that until you're old enough to be able to claim it. 18, some cases, some countries is 21. So I found out that in order for me to have any kind of separation, I have to claim a nationality with the national government, an international government. And I found an international government on this continent, which is the United States of America. And they go by not the Constitution. They go by the Articles of uh, Confederation. And they have their own charter, which is the American Charter. And they also have their own Articles of Organization and Association, which is their bylaws. And they go by Scripture. And it's not it's not religion. It's spiritual. The country is called the reign of the heaven, which is also quoted in scripture of a real country. That Yahushua came and stepped out the meets and bounds of that country as he was walking around the country. And um, 
I also found out that uh, the disciples were uh, holding a government position because Yahushua came to do his father's will and his business. And his business through his son was to show the people how to have a government for the people, of the people, and by the people. Now, that's what I learned. So it's not going to be much longer. I'll be taking doing an oath and affirmation to be an American national. I'm already a resident because I did a resident declaration. I've also signed a document that is called um, a Declaration of Rights. And I realized all through my life that uh, people are running around, I'm running around claiming I got a rights, I got a right for this, and I got a right for that. But if I'm a slave, I have no rights until I come forward with some documentary evidence showing them that I'm conducting my own affairs by signing certain documents, posting them in an international posting of record. And if it is not contested and there's no objection to my posting, then that becomes my law. That is who I am, and they can't deny that. No judge can take that international posting, uh, a publication of record, down away from me at all. There's no legal basis that that can happen. So now that I'm getting ready to be an American national, I'm going to start conducting my own affairs. I'm going to start governing myself. And um, from that point on, um, when they try to engage with me, because when I get my certified copies or my affidavit of publication and I give them notice, they've already got the notice, the first step to do within their jurisdiction on how they do theirs. There's a notice, a chance to cure, and if it's not cured, then they're held in dishonor, which becomes the default notice that they didn't take care of it. So when you go to the highest court in the land with your three papers that they did not respond to you on, that's called a tacit agreement. If they did not respond, then they agreed to the terms and condition of the notice, the chance to cure, and the uh, default, uh, default um, held in dishonor, the default judgment. I put out the default judgment, but then my last publication, because they didn't come to the table for peaceful settlement of dispute. And then when you got those three things in place and you go to a higher court, um, and then most of the time, um, a judge will allow you to put in, you want to put in a motion along with that, you know, a motion, you want to put in a motion for a default judgment. And more than likely, you're going to be honored. They're going to honor that because you've done your job. You went to your brother to try and settle the matter before he took you to court. And that's how that works. And I see the line of the chain of title, and I've exhausted my administrative remedies. And I can't find remedy and recourse within their statutes, ordinance, and codes, which are copyrighted. I can't use them, so I have to copyright my own. When I put my, my publication in the paper of record, I take that publication, and it gets uh, dropped into a great registry, and it gets a copyright. So now I'm copywriting my own. Now, when they try to engage with me after I give them notice and I say, hey, look, this is who I am. Can you please back off? I don't fall underneath your statutes or codes. And if they keep trying to engage with me, I'll send them a chance to cure notice. That's two notices. you got to give your brother a chance to um, repent, to correct his error. And 
once I get to that stage, if they continue to try and engage with me, then I send them an, uh, another notice, which is a, a default notice, and my own judgment. And then I'll be ready to go to the next level. And that's how I'm setting it up for myself. I'm building a portfolio to give them notice to please back off. Don't try to engage with me because you will be crossing the jurisdiction. And um, that's called um, trespass. So if you trespass on my law, then this is what's going to happen. I'm not going to trespass on your law. I'm not, part, I'm not a member to your association, so I'm not bound by your rules of organizations or association. And that's the, going to be the beginning of my portfolio. I think I pretty much got most of my documents together. I'm just waiting for my oath and affirmation. And then I'm going to start sending notices out to all the government entities that I can send it to. The Secretary of State, the Register, the um, DMV, um, the county, the courthouse. Uh, I'm even going to file it into the Record of Deeds. And they've been noticed. If I could say, I would uh, make sure probably somebody that would be first on my list would be the Department of Agriculture. Because everything runs through them. Your Mm -hmm. mortgage, you name it. Yeah, and the health department also. They collect all information about us, and uh, it's on record. Um, it doesn't matter. They even know when you, you know, poop and pee. They, they pretty much know everything about us, I mean, our health and all. And uh, that's another place also. And, yeah, that's a good idea. I, I concur with that, Brian. Absolutely, 100%. Huh. So. Uh, it's, almost, it's almost hard to figure out... Um, to follow our line of thinking now without somebody bouncing in or out, isn't it? Yeah, I've been seeing that. I've been watching people bouncing in and out. And um, I have a nice little document. It's called a motion to dismiss for people who drive and how you can articulate yourself within their court system on how you can show them that there can be no legally existing um, driver's license for a couple of different reasons. Um, this is a simple motion to dismiss. Um, it'd be like, I, Walter Hollis, here and after, referred to as defendant, hereby motion this court to dismiss case number so-and-so. For the following just causes. One, defendant is, accused, is being accused of a crime that does not legally exist. Two, defendant is maintaining that there is no controversy before the court. Three, Defendant is being accused of driving without a driver's license that does not legally exist. Now, narrative. You've got to give a reason why. The defendant went to the Department of Motor Vehicles to obtain a driver's license. The Department of Motor Vehicles failed to produce a form that would grant the defendant's intangible property to the use of the public highways to the Department of Motor Vehicles. The aforementioned grant would produce a valid contract of terms and conditions under the license that the defendant would sign in order for the prosecution to prove intent to violate a stat- the statute. Now, there's not no intent to violate a statute because I did not sign over my intangible right. There was no document uh, formulated. I did not sign nothing that even remotely said anything like that. Okay. Um, and then it goes on to more of the um, uh, narrative. Okay, for with the aforementioned grant, if I had done something like that, 
or with the aforementioned grant wherein the Department of Motor Vehicles would fill the position of grantee and the defendant would fill the position of grantor, thereby forming a trust agreement by the and between the grantor and grantee, wherein a license would legally exist. Well, if I didn't sign a document like that, and there cannot be a legally existing driver's license, one that would be UDHR compliant. All right, not to go on. For without the aforementioned trust agreement, a license cannot legally exist, and therefore there cannot exist a controversy before the court. Although the Department of Motor Vehicles may have an easement on the public highways for maintenance of the public highways, the easement would not allow the Department of Motor Vehicles to license privately owned intangible property without just compensation to the defendant. If the state does not have the right to take private property without just compensation, it is legally impossible for the Department of of the same or different state to claim a right that does not exist. Yeah, and that's some simple verbiage, you know, to tell them, hey, you know, I did not sign a document with you. I did not grant nothing, and you were not, you know, I did not grant nothing to you, and there is no trust agreement between me and you that I signed over my intangible right to give it to the Department of Motor Vehicles, the DMV. So without that document in place, that trust agreement, then there cannot be a legal license based on intangible property right to travel freely on this land without encumbrances. The encumbrance would be, I have to pay for it. I have to get a license. So that would be the encumbrance, and that would be the, being forced into an association when there is not a document for a grantor or a grantee position and a trust formed. So it's just the beginning of the founding documents that I'm compiling because this is a paper world. And, you know, it doesn't matter how people look at it. It matters what they're doing to us. So we have to play their game and separate ourselves through documentation. And no matter how you look at it, reading all their statutes, ordinances, and codes, you're never going to find the way to do it unless you study beyond that. You got to study outside of their copyrighted codes and copyright your own. Yeah, and on top of it, you cannot be compelled to uh, join an organization, and that's exactly what they've done. They've caused you to join an organization and follow a whole new set of rules and regulations without ever telling you that that's what you've done. And on top of it, uh, you're forcing you to join. Uh, there's been no consideration for your intangible property rights. Yeah. Speaking of consideration, I just got my license with uh, the United States of America. I've done signed the quick claim deed, claiming back my right to travel. And I've also signed a bond, a $750,000 bond, three-quarters of a million dollars, and that's going to be my insurance policy. And it didn't cost me nothing because my right is valued at $750 each. So whenever they violate your right and you formulate an affidavit of the facts, which is the people involved, what went on, 
and basically that's it. An affidavit is a simple thing to write up. And then uh, you go put it through the proper channels, and you take it to the Human Rights Tribunal Court. And every time that they have violated my rights within their charging instrument and tried to force me into that association or tried to engage with me when I, they clearly know I don't want nobody engaging with me, so please back off. <clears throat> It'll be $750,000 each violation. But over here, <clears throat> excuse me, like I said, I've just went through the process of getting my driver's license. I'm waiting for the email now so I can send it to the uh, Office Max and have them, you know, shrink it down and put it and laminate it so I can have my license. It didn't cost me nothing with this government. And over in the USA government, whatever you want to call it, um, you have to pay for all that. What you've done is you've given up your rights whenever you license something without knowing it. Because we didn't know, we weren't taught. But when we learn, we can take steps to correct that. And as Stephen states in the scripture, what is bound in on earth is bound in heaven. What you unbind on earth, you unbind in heaven. So whatever we've done to ourselves, whatever situation we are in our lives, we can fix the error. We can correct the error. We can undo what we've done with documentation. And you know, this is a world of paper. Walt, I thought those—I uh, thought those IDs and stuff were coming on cards already. I don't think they um, need lamination or anything. Well, I guess if you ask for it, you'd have to pay for that. Okay, but I'm going to have to pay at Office Max to have it done locally. You know, so but they're giving me the bond because I gave my—I signed over my intangible right to this government, and they gave me back a consideration which is a $750,000 bond, which is UDHR compliant. Taxes are slavery, okay? And I can't be taxed any kind of money from a government to drive on this land. So it's free. They do all the documentation. They put it, they post it. They put it into the registry. It gets a uh, copyright, and we move on from there. I can drive. Uh, well, guess 15, I'm not sure what you want us to say. Nice, we're not talking evil about anything, just uh, the way things are. Well, yeah. Guess 15 said, if we don't have anything nice to say, yeah, I yeah, may wasn't talking to us. might have been talking to somebody else in the chat. My apologies yeah. if that's the case. Anyway. Yeah, this guy just rambling. Yeah, I'm that guy. They call me Walter. They have a nickname, son. Well, and it's, you know, maybe people really don't comprehend exactly what's being talked about here. And, and that is that, you know, the people have grown up thinking that we live and exist in the original constitutional democracy, which is not the case. Um, but the forefathers in the very beginning knew it happened, it did happen, partially because half of the problem was them and um, their attorneys. And attorneys always come in and, and steal everything and turn it over to somebody else. And that's exactly what happened. And it was, everything was turned over from the Republic. It was turned over to a corporate structure. And that's what's been running things. Um, the, the DMV is not the government. It's a privately owned business. It's no different than 
the difference between Sunoco down the road and <clears throat> and, the, and the Walmart or, or the Kmart. They're all separate from each other. They just contract with each other. That, that's the only thing. And so Excuse me. you're not forced and can't be forced uh, into contract with anybody. Yeah, Unfortunately, you they do? don't give you any other way, just with them. So, therefore, uh, this government was set up back to the structure of what the Republic was originally supposed to have been and never was. Yeah, they didn't finish what they started back then. And the uh, Articles of Confederation were kind of hacked up. They had some things in there that needed to be amended. And those amendments were made. They were vet- they vetted all the way back to the Articles of Association. And they brought forward the Articles of Association and, and amended them. So now they have uh, been done. And we can adopt that into our life. And that would be one of the governed bodies uh, for me to go by. Um, the Charter for the American Continent, um, I'm also going to incorporate that and going to adopt that myself as part of my governed body with, for my own self-governing position. And it's all about self-governing. If you don't study what government is and how they got to where they're at and how they established themselves, and if you don't have those founding documents, your charter, your articles, organizations, and associations, then um, how are you going to get recognition? You're not. And if you've never claimed a right, then where are your rights? I mean, I used to be a slave. I'm not a slave anymore. And, I mean, I can start posting proof, and uh, I can start getting videos when I get pulled over because it's going to start. They're going to want to pull me over. I'm also going to give them notice. You know, notice the DMV and let them know I'm be driving on these tags. I'm going to deport my vehicle into the DOT with this government, and then I'm going to take those um, uh, um, certified copies from the DOT of this government, the United States of America, over to the DMV. I'm going to give back the title to the DMV because it's theirs. It's not my title. They made it. Maxims of law. You can only control that which you create. Well, I'll give them back their their control tool, their title and ask them to put my information into their system to show any cops that might want to pull me over that, you know, I'm not within your jurisdiction. And, uh, you know, can you please just leave me alone? Thank you. Um, you all all right? I see you guys out there in blue. You're doing your job. That's fine. Um, and I'm doing my job now. I'm uh, governing myself. I want to say also, I'm mean, just uh, glancing at the chat here. Um, what was it? It was that uh, self-government applies to communities, not to individuals. Uh, actually, we are a community. <laughs> um, it's and it's a quickly growing community as well. And actually, it was based on the individual. If everybody remembers back when uh, United States of America had originally started, what was happening was these founding fathers were also farmers and. They had plantations or whatever they were doing at the time. And, you know, they would work during the summer months when they could make money and things like that. And then for a couple of months during the wintertime, uh, instead of being huddled up, you know, snowed in, sitting around the fire, they went to D.C. and they worked on the national government. And a lot of them were doing it for nothing, absolutely nothing. Unlike these guys that are sitting in there making millions off and serving in office now. Right. And then come, come spring, they'd go back to their families, you know. 
And that that's really the way it was supposed to have been done. And it, everybody kind of took turns. Uh, there was terms set forth in the Constitution, you know, and everybody kind of took their turns going in and, and serving time, keeping the government working. And until it really became such of a monstrous uh, corporation and business and moneymaker as it has come today for them. So that's the only difference. Absolutely. And, and back in the day, people were governing themselves. They were bringing up their own crops. They were raising their own uh, uh, animals, you know, whether it be cattle, sheep, or chickens, or whatever they did. They didn't have no government mandates. They were you know, self-governing. They governed themselves. And it wasn't a you know community thing. It was individuals that gathered together to barter and trade. They were governing themselves. They brought their products or their services or their goods to the bargaining table. And that's what it was. They were individuals. And I'm sure there were communities that got together to uh, perform these duties. And all they were all in. You know, one, one farm could produce the chicken and the eggs. The other produced the cattle and the milk and the cheese. And uh, they would get together and they would distribute it within their community. I'm sure there was communities like that as well. But most generally, everybody relied on themselves to be able to survive. And that's self-governing all day long. Yeah, they relied on themselves. And some of them had different skill sets that other ones didn't have. And that's how they covered each other. I remember when I was younger, um, there was a lot of big sugar beet fields uh, where I lived at. And do you think that all of those farmers owned the multi-million dollar equipment that it took to harvest those sugar beets? Absolutely not. Uh, there would be like one farmer out of a group of, say, five or ten farms that they all pitched in on it and bought the equipment. And one week they would do one guy's property, then the next week they'd do the other guy's properties, you know. And crop sharing. Yeah, they called it crop sharing. For the crops. Right, and that's that's the way things were done back then. And also at that time you didn't have home invasions and things going on because Dad had the rifle, you know, propped up next to the nightstand and <laughs> In this house, and that that was in every house, and it wasn't only him that you had to worry about because his six year old son knew how to fire that thing too. So you know, and people respected there was a respect for each other, and that's not taught anymore. What's being yeah. taught now is that you know you can say whatever you want to say, and uh, nobody should be offended by anything anybody says. And if you're offended, then you're the bad person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, once you get over anger, hostilities, frustrations, animosities, any of them emotional feelings of discontent whatsoever, that it talks about also that on Deuteronomy 28 that that which was a, that is that that is within you will become the head of you, and you will become the tail. I don't want to live in the tail. I don't want to be angry. I'm tired of being there. My anger, hostility, and frustrations were taken from me, and I refuse to use any of that. And I'm the most patient person you'll ever meet. And that is the truth. And I refuse to use any kind of emotion like that. I don't get frustrated if something ain't working out. So what? You know, figure it out and move on. Don't dwell on it. Don't let that type of energy eat you alive. Move on. Keep stepping. Yeah, frustration, frustration, and anger hold you back, and that's exactly what they want to have. They want everybody to be frustrated and angry, as they know that that's going to keep them held back and keep them from being able to perform as well as they'd be able to perform otherwise. And uh, oh, that gives them oh, the edge. 
or even excel. They want to keep you from excelling. They want to be above you. They want to think they're sovereign. And the only only sovereign entity at, the, at all out there, in my mind, is the creator. I'm not sovereign, you know. I you know I, I'll never be sovereign, and I'll never be an adult. I'll always be a child, because that's what it says. The only way you can get to me is through the sun. And what else do we say? You have to come to me like a child. And I'm spoke of in the scripture as a child. And I'll stay a child as long as I live. I can be 100 years old and I, st- I will still be a child. I've accepted it. See, I quit putting up with and I quit dealing with things. I mean, to deal with something, I put up with it. There's some sort of frustration or angers or hostilities involved. I have accepted it. Acceptance is much easier. He also said, my way is not cumbersome. I'm not encumbered anymore. The cumbersome has been lifted from me because I refuse to use those emotions. Now I can see what I need to do to, to govern myself and to set myself apart from that entity that's trying to control me. It's a paper world. So I want to put some papers forth uh, also and show them who I am and who I am not. Right. You know, that's one of the things that people always talk to me about. That they say, oh, well, you're getting involved with their paperwork and stuff like that. And that, so that, that just makes you just like them. And you know what? It's, to me, very logical common sense that, you know, if you're talking to a Chinaman and you're wanting something from him or wanting him to do something, whatever the case may be, and you don't speak Chinese, well, guess what? Nothing's going to happen. You're going to have to use Chinese. You have to use what he comprehends in order to be able to communicate with him. Well, yeah. Yeah, since it's a paper world that's and that's the only way they communicate, then that's what you have to use to communicate with them. And, and besides, you know what? It, it actually turns around on them as a trap because now you've got to document it. it. It's not one person's word against another person's word. You've got documentation now so that it can be put in front of uh, any tribunal or anything and be proven. It's self-evident. And also put in front of them because that's the language they understand is documentation. So it's like speaking a different language when you go into these courts. If you don't have your lingo in order or your portfolio and your notices in place, they don't understand who you are, what you're doing, or what you're even trying to do. Well, I'm going to show them what I'm doing, and it'll be full disclosure. There will be no you know, hidden agendas with me. It'll be fully disclosed. They'll be fully informed. It'll be, you know, it'll be with their consent, with their knowledge, and with full disclosure. So I won't be holding nothing back. And that's what they understand. It's like another language. Yeah, the, Even. yeah the, best, the best way to communicate with them is on paper. Now, I'll tell you what. I've had more communications with court administrators, with judges, on paper than any other way. And it's kind of nice being able to write write to them and inform them of things and have them actually write you back. Whereas, you know, more, they just ignore you. Threat- the point is this. You wasn't threatening them, was you? You went to the table for peaceful settlement of a dispute. That's how you're supposed to go first. You're not supposed to go in there, I'm suing you, I'm putting a claim against you. You're supposed to come to the table with peaceful settlement in mind of a you know, peaceful settlement of a dispute. Oh, there's, well, I got a dispute here. Can I talk to you about this? Be nice. Doesn't matter how they're acting toward you. 
always be nice in your paperwork. No threatening words, no hateful verbiage, uh, or anything that's going to create a controversy. Well, and that's just like uh, in, in Matthew, you know, it says, uh, settle your disputes quickly, you know, unless you be dragged into court. And I remember well, here, gosh, a number, number of years ago before I really started stumbling on any of this kind of info, <clears throat> me and a friend of mine uh, had a situation <laughs> where we were goofing around one night. Uh, we weren't doing anything illegal, but nevertheless, <laughs> we still got arrested. You know how that works. You're telling on yourself. Yeah, I know. That's all right. I have no problem with it. But yep. uh, we both got arrested, and uh, we got released, you know, six, seven hours later the next morning. And uh, we were supposed to have court coming up, you know, in like a month. And he was really nervous, didn't know what to do, da, da, da. And I, I knew the details of the whole situation, and it actually was in an area that I know everything was probably video monitored even at that time. And so I thought, oh, what the heck? And I just uh, went on down to the county prosecutor's office. And I walked in and I asked him, you know, I wanted to speak to the prosecutor that was dealing with case number such and such. Absolutely. And I sat down and it, yeah, I sat down in front of this woman and she was the prosecutor on the case. I sat and explained everything to her and told her what my intention was, you know, <laughs> and, uh, how I felt about everything. And she read through her notes and everything. And she looked at me and she says, you know what? Don't worry about it. You don't have to come to court. You're all set. So you went in there. So you went in there under the, under the terms of peaceful settlement of a dispute and you got exactly what you needed. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I still knew even at that age, you know, that you just, can't really take an attorney's word for it. You know, whether they work for the state or they work for you. So I still went to court when, I was, when that date was coming around, where my friend didn't, all right? But I sat there, and I was never called, but he was. And he wasn't there, and so there was a bench warrant put out on him, and I don't know if that bench warrant still exists today. I know he moved to another state shortly afterwards. <laughs> but either way, that that was the thing, you know, go go directly to your accuser. And that in that situation, the accuser is going to be the prosecutor. Yep, that's right. That's uh, that's awesome, and that's exactly what I was talking about. And that's a good example of what I was talking about. And I also did that uh, a couple of times in my life over a few incidents that happened to me. And and you know what? I got the very same outcome. One time I was I was asked to pay court costs. You know, no fines of something that I could have been fined for. Well, Mr. Hollis, if you pay the court cost, uh thirty dollar court cost, uh, you won't have to come to court. And so I'll go right downstairs and pay it now. Can you got a piece of paper that can tell them at the uh, um clerk's office that uh, I can pay this and be on my way? Yeah. She picked up the phone and started uh typed a couple of numbers in and um, said something to the clerks that I'd be right down there to get the paperwork ready for me to uh, sign and pay for it. And I paid court costs and I was gone. I mean, you know, just because I paid, I would be more than happy to pay the $30 to have this go away. How much would you pay otherwise? Jail time, fines, um, probation maybe, or an attorney. Hey, $30 was a drop in the bucket and uh, I settled it. Well, and you know what? You stop and think back about 
the times that you've been in court and hopefully people on the call, you know, haven't had too many of those experiences, but uh, very often you'll see when the defense and the prosecutor come up in front of the court administrator, the administrator will ask the prosecutor, have you guys come to any agreement? Well, what do you think they're asking about? Did you guys get together ahead of time and settle the matter? You know, and they always, exactly. they always ask that, even though they wouldn't be there if they had, they still have to double check because they could have done it five minutes earlier. Very often that is when they do it. That, in fact, I've had an experience where that was done like five minutes ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, and the prosecutor is able to. Yeah. Yep. I would like this and this and this. And the administrators, 99% of the time, will go along with what the prosecution says unless they've got acts to grind themselves. Clarify to the people what the administrator is. The judge. The judge, yep. I I know I was in court one time uh, over something trivial, and I was looking down, uh, going through my notes and and saying a few things, and the judge stopped me, and she says, do you know who I am in this court? And I said, yeah, I know very well who you are. You're a court administrator. (laughs) She didn't say another peep. Didn't say another peep. I, I wish I had been looking at her so I could have seen the expression on her face, but, yeah, she didn't say a peep. Uh, sorry. That's funny. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't get the look on her face like that. Yeah. I thought I'd bring you also to the table, if you don't mind, um, Ryan. Um, the, uh, um, it's called the, uh, the Private Membership Association uh, Classification Act of 2017. A little brief explanation to the people that I was talking about copyrighted codes and statutes and terminology and definitions. Um, I would like to share that with the people on the call. Absolutely. Okay. Upon the motion of the National Assembly, the, the United States and Congress assembled passed the Private Membership Association Classification Act of 2017 for the benefit of the American nationals and residents of the United States of America. The whole controversy and debate for the last 20 years is now resolved with clear definitions and classification. Now, the attorneys don't have to smear the reputation of the people that claim certain things about the all-cap name controversy, and the people that have been trying to figure it out don't have to guess anymore. Problem solved. Now, the document is just a short little page that I'm going to read that has already been posted internationally. And it wasn't contested, and there was no objections. It also has a copyright, and it's in the registry, in the great registry. Now, it says here, all right, the subject matter of the act, style slash definition of the family name. So the family name has been settled on this side with this government. Finally, uh, regulations, penalties of the act, regulations, classification of terms, See, this is where you classify the word or the term that you're going to use and copyright it. This is the beginning of making your own bylaws or your laws. Classification of the term, last name, surname, and by name is hereby classified as a private membership association. Now, the, defi- the definition of the classification is this. The last name, surname, and or by name is a pronoun, thereby thereby not to be defined as an adjective or a verb by non-members. All right, now the regulatory authority for this classification of the definition and the classification of term is 
The aforementioned pronoun is a private membership association whereby members is by, is by way of inheritance, bloodline, and hereditary. This is your title back, folks. And the style of the pronoun with the intent to change its definition is notwithstanding unless redefined by the members for specific purposes and scope for the benefit of the members. So if they want to try to change the definition, it better benefit me. And the last part, all members shall enjoy the benefit of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights to enforce its shelter from the laws of war and commerce. What is the administrative buildings doing, what we call courthouses? It's war and commerce. So now where I'm going to be under the UDHR, shelter from the laws of war and commerce, thereby preserving the national human rights of its members. And that's it. It's a simple document. It's been uh, publicized in a publication of record, and it has been put into a registry, the great registry of this government, and it has a copyright. So all things are in place under international law and the law of nations. And I yield. <laughs> uh, no, no, that's fine. <clears throat> and if people need to realize that you're getting into the private membership association and, and moving the, the legal entity there is taking it off from where it's being administrated at now. And everything right now is being run by private membership associations. It's not falling under the Constitution or Bill of Rights or anything that was set up there. Uh, or the statutes, yeah. The Supreme, Supreme Court of the United States did agree that it is perfectly okay if you want to go ahead and join a private membership association and be bound to the rules and regulations within that association. And that that association doesn't even have to follow uh, constitutional rights. Uh, if they say they want to have a piece of property and you've got to have their permit in order to walk on it, well, that's fine. You agreed to it. Well, guess what? That is the exact same thing as you joining the Department of Motor Vehicles Private Membership Association, where they tell you you've got to have a license to travel on those roads. Same thing. You just gave up your intangible right to travel. And yep. you get it in for the rules and regulations. And you can do your own little quick search, even on the courts. You've got the Judges Association. You've got the Private Membership Association for Defense Counsel. You've got an association for prosecutors. You've got the Clerk of Courts Association. There's even a Bailiff's Association. I mean, sure. they're all run, on, and there's a Sheriff's Association. Exactly. And on down the line, you'll see everything is falling under all these associations, and that is what they're using for their protection. So when somebody says they want to come after, uh, say, a a peace officer or a policy officer or whatever for one reason or another, you know, because he didn't follow this or that in the Constitution. Well, it, he put aside his rights and abilities through that, and he's actually operating in a private membership association right now, and the whole community is being run by people that are in this private membership association, and when they went and published uh, their charter originally saying that they were forming and what they were going to be doing. Did anybody stand up and protest it? Did the people come together and say, uh, no, I don't think so. That's not the way things are supposed to be run. No. 
silent acquiescence of the people. They were able to do it. And so that's yeah, what we're but, stuck with today. Well, but fortunately, we can use that same exact system for ourselves. Yep. And um, I've got uh, the the um, the sales ad that I put on your tactical sovereignty administering the estate, my pathway, a journey. Um, there's a few things I put on there to help the people understand basically what an PMA is, what it does, and what you can uh, do and what you can't do. And there's not many things that you can't do. The only thing you can't do is um, commit a nefarious act. Now, that's caused harm to somebody, damage of property, or loss of some kind. And I could read that to the people. It's a short read if uh, you want them to better understand what the PMA is since how we're on that subject. Yeah, go for it. All right. All right. A PMA does not need any authority or permission of any kind whatsoever from any government or its creation or in order for it to continue to exist and function. A PMA is created by and exists upon the exact same authority and power that people assert. A private membership association PMA is men and women collectively or uh, asserting a st- and standing upon their rights to determine what devices, products, procedures, or services will be used by them to maintain the health of their own body, mind, and spirit. BMA members are free to exchange any information whatsoever of any topic they choose and can speak or write about, listen to, or read any information used or obtained, any information, product, or services on any terms agreeable to any member who chooses to provide that information, product, or services. PMAs are under no general lawful or legal obligation to recognize any statutory title of public competency, education, or training licensed persons or experts, public law regulations, and international rules of administrative agencies that regulate the public do not generally reach the PMA. Now, I say generally because if you commit a nefarious act, then they can reach you. That's the golden rule. Um, do not generally reach the PMA because they would impair, impede, obstruct, or defeat the PMA's members' ability to discuss, hear, read, or speak about, print, obtain, use things, use things which may be prohibited to be discussed or to be used by the public. So when they're governing you about things that you couldn't talk about or things that you couldn't use, if you if you want to smoke marijuana, they can't govern you. You got your own PMA. If you want to take herbal plants, they can't tell you that you can't because you're within your own private membership association. A PMA generally falls outside the jurisdiction of public law. And, you know, generally, I say that again because if you break the golden rule, you cause some sort of nefarious act, then they can, they can touch you. Um, generally falls outside the jurisdiction of public law, regulations, and internal rules of administrative agencies, including but not limited to the public law that created the FDA and all other agencies. A private membership association is men and women collectively asserting and standing upon their secured perfect rights, their reserved authority, their pre-existing claim to absolute authority, 
and control over the health of their own body, mind, and spirit, and rights, here and after collectively referred to simply as rights. A PMA functions by the members acting as people in their real character and capacity rather than acting as a commercial slash legal slash legislative slash public person. No state can make a law that impairs the obligation of a contract and therefore is without jurisdiction unless the private membership association commits a nefarious act, which means some form of human rights violation. And that's basically what a PMA is, what it does, how you can operate it. What you can do is whatever you say you can do. They don't govern us. They don't govern me. I'm learning this. I'm learning to set up a PMA just like they have, and I'm going to start administering it. It's a simple thing. You can also do this uh, PMA. It's a Family Private Membership Association is what it is. And the ad's up on your page, Brian, um, for all those that might want to go look at that, read it, and probably go look at it. It's $160 for the uh, um, um, the uh, PMA, and it's uh, it's got a constitution or charter. You can call it what you want. Uh, it also has the bylaws. The bylaws are the Articles of Organization and Association. And it's you can have one of these for your family, or you can do it for your business, or you can do it for your association, whichever way you want to use it. And uh, I yield with that now that they've got a better understanding of what the PMA is, what it can do for you, and how how it works. Yeah, that's generally really how they all work. Yep. Uh, they're set up. It's not quite as strictly, not as secretively, but that they're set up very similar to what a trust is. Oh, yeah, there is one other thing. There's one other thing I forgot to mention. You do not have to disclose to any court what uh, your internal workings are, because that's private. You're under a non-disclosure agreement within your private membership association. But, you know, the trustee or the executor can publish the existence of it, that it exists, and that's your notice to them. If you put it in a publication of record, you've noticed them, and uh, that's the existence. Well, I got a PMA now. Uh, thank you. How you doing? Here I am. Uh, if you want to engage with me, it'll be under my terms and conditions, not yours. It's a lot simpler than going and then trying to um, digest all Black's Law or codes and statutes, and then you move to another state, and you got to learn all new ones. <laughs> You're so right, Brian. You're so right. It's much easier something. It's much easier to learn this and to apply this in your life than it is there are 80,000 or 80 million or however 8 million codes and statutes that they have on the books, because that's all for them. That's for their PMA, not mine. Yeah, they might have 30,000 different rules out there, but you got to remember for each one, uh, there's about 10 different applications to each of those. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and about, the, about the time you learn them, that, that's when they go and change them. That, that's what happened uh, to Dean Clifford, actually, up on Canada. He went and did everything from a statutory point of view, and they got in there and found out that they had gone and changed a bunch of those statutes so it was like one of the statutes he was trying to stand on actually applied now to dog catchers. 
<laughs> so. Yeah, and that's what they do. They they find that, uh, oh, they found a way in. They found a weakness in our statute. Oh, well, we're going to have to go back and amend that and change it so that can't happen again. Well, I think that's a ton of knowledge, a ton of info there. Walt, I appreciate it. And um, I don't know, should I open it up for Q&A briefly? I think there's a lot of people talking. We'll see if they really want to ask something. And sure. if not, we can call yeah, it a just night. briefly. Just briefly. Right. I'll do it briefly for Q&A. Let's say, like, uh, two questions since it's 9 o'clock already. And uh, just let us know who you are and where you're from. And uh, just keep it to a brief question if you can. I appreciate it. Um, All right. Everybody should be unmuted. Yeah, Yeah, thanks a lot. Hi, real quick question um, for anyone who's willing to answer. Uh, And also, especially the guy that was speaking a minute ago about the PMAs. Um, I think I think uh, uh, it sounds a lot it's very similar to the like journal societies or townships, and and on the common law side of things, whereby statutes and uh, constitutional provisions in general would not apply to the local people. Um, so, have you heard that before, or how did you? How did you? I mean, where are you getting the the fundamental underlying doctrine from? Um, this is Walter, and I'm the one who's talking about the PMA. Um, it's through the United States of America. Um, the, actually, I had done a resident declaration, and I've been involved in their um, assembly meetings and their government meetings, and uh, also with their general postmaster council, which is a board of judges, um, and learning from them on how to uh, govern myself without being governed by a government. That's where I'm getting. If it. I may, Walt. Sure. Okay. Um, I w- I would also say you can go online. It's very easy, and you can see all the PMAs that are out there. And you can go online and just put in how to establish a PMA, and it'll all come up right there for you. How to set it up, how to publish it, and Thank how you. it all works. So it's it's nothing secret. Yeah, I ask you right. a question, uh, Brian. Somebody next, Brian. Brian, uh, okay, another one, uh, yeah. real quick here is that. Um, see, I had thought of an idea for a website recently. I think I think the hundredth monkey is already enacted here. We got a lot of good vibes going. Everybody's kind of thinking on the same train of thought here. It's really cool to to see this happening. Um, it's also a little bit scary too. It lets me know how behind the curve I am. But um, interestingly, my my concept. <laughs> It, for a what you would call a private membership association, putting it on the website and and having it be like a central database for that particular private membership association. Have you guys thought of that yet? Are you are well, you switching? Huh? That's what publication. That's what publication is about. How can you have any okay. force behind what you're doing if you didn't put it in an international publication of record? And then if nobody contested it or objected to it, that's where you get your force and your standing at. you got to notice these people. you got to let them know, hey, here I am. This is what I'm doing. So they know who you are. They know what you're doing. And they know not to engage with you. 
because that would be considered a trespass upon you and your private membership association. All right. Uh, question number two, and we'll wrap the night up. Anybody else have something? No? Uh, somebody. Okay. Well. Um, question about how, how you put your documents in order, um, like your birth certificate and social security card and what you do with your driver's license or or those kind of things. Of, of documentation to the system. Well, I got something I could add to that. Um, over here with this government, um, you get a license over here. You got to have a PMA to get a license, and you can just fill out a small form to uh, establish your PMA over here. That's the beginning of capturing the entity from that side. And uh, you can deport your vehicles over here to the DOT. You get a license plate, which is non-transferable. It's only for one vehicle. And with that documentation, you take them back their title and you put into their records a certified copy of the DOT 101 form over here. And um, that gives them the evidence. And you created that uh, um, contract. And you can also terminate that contract with the DMV. And to, the fastest way I found to terminate it is to use a de deportation process. And it's a simple process. Um, it's all on the website. I dropped the website link inside the chat for anybody that wants to go and check out the government of the United States, the original one brought forward, vetted back and brought forward. And it's all there. Oh, this is a background noise. All right, cool. Appreciate it, Walt. Okay. Um, it's, as far as what that previous question was, was a whole bunch of different questions all wrapped up kind of into one because those are all separate things that you'd be doing, but that can all be found right there on that website. If you look under the Secretary of State and follow the steps there, um, you should be good to go. And yeah, there's plenty of people there willing to help, and there's also a support desk if you have a question. You can go uh, pick the department that you're asking the question of, how to do something, whatever, and just submit a ticket to them, and they'll get back with you. And guess what? The uh, corporate U.S. Inc., they don't have a support desk, do they? They've got phone numbers that you can sit on hold for an hour and a half and then get hung up on after asking a simple question. But <laughs> here is actually a support desk to help. So. Anyway, like uh, I said, this is uh, all part of learning where we're really from, where we're really at, and who we really are, because what's been fed to us so far has really been a line of crap to misguide everybody. <clears throat> so, until next week, thanks, guys. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.